What if there was a way to customize your dietary and lifestyle approach to really maximize health benefits, not just on keto, but with sleep, intermittent fasting, and other areas that you really wanna fine tune and get amazing results. On today's episode, we bring on Dr. Matthew Dawson to talk all about genomics-based precision medicine. I mean, everyone has tried forever to come up with exercise and appeal. If you actually could get all the benefits of exercise from appeal, I mean, it would be a, a trillion dollar, not a billion dollar trio, because it, it, it just has so many benefits for us, uh, period. And brain health is probably one of the biggest ones. So we, we obviously know, yeah, intense exercise increases brain drive neurotrophic factor. It's like miracle grow for your brain. The beautiful thing about exercise is we, we do so many things for our future selves, um, which is worth doing. We want to do that. But exercise has so many benefits in the moment as well, just the clarity, the mental health uh, components. So exercise is, it's hard to overstate just how powerful and how beneficial exercise and intense exercise is for the brain. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for pressing play today. I'm super grateful. I've got a lot of vitamin G for you today and every day. Today's episode is with Dr. Matthew Dawson who is obsessed with performance optimization for the whole body, mental and business performance and longevity. And him and his team has turned this obsession into Wild Health. He is the CEO and co-founder of Wild Health, which is a genomics-based precision medicine. He's also one of the co-hosts of Wild, the Wild Health podcast. And he's going to get into his backstory, which is super interesting. And some of the things he saw with the decline of his family members' neurological issues and the decline of the brain and mental clarity. And we get into brain health. Uh, we get into what to do if you're dealing with brain fog, memory issues, mental fatigue, focus, and how those signs that are happening right now could be red flags for some issues in the future and what to do to reverse that and get your brain performing at an optimal level. We also get into genetic testing and why his company does it, and how they're different from other companies, specific genes for keto and fasting and sleep. It's super interesting. We get into how damaging the wheat protein gluten can be, the benefits of following this smash protocol for fish. And he's going to give you those five fish uh, foods that he recommends. And he actually inspired me to eat more anchovies, although I 
really don't like the taste, but he has convinced me and he might convince you as well. The benefits of exercise that go beyond weight loss, uh, how exercise helps with brain-derived neurotropic factor. We get into that and some super cool books that talk about that. And then we get into sleep, which is one of my favorite topics as well, how to optimize sleep and why you do not want to eat close to bed. We get into some little keto hacks like putting raw eggs in your coffee. People who do well with monounsaturated fats, more of like a Mediterranean keto versus those who can do more hardcore carnivore and so much more. If you want to learn more about his services, his products, his DNA kits, and all the cool things they're doing, we'll drop a link down below. They also gave us a nice coupon code for you to get 20% off, which is Azadi, my last name, and we'll put that down below for you to check out as well. Before I bring them on, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This one is from Suzanne Alfieri, and I know exactly who Suzanne is. She's a an amazing member of uh, our Keto Camp Academy who I got to meet at KetoCon and uh, she's just incredible. And she left an awesome review. And this review is titled, Keto Camp is Life-Changing. I have learned so much from listening to Ben and his brilliant guest on each podcast episode. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into creating a podcast that is so well orchestrated from the research to the sponsors, to the content, to the show notes. Thank goodness for the show notes, she says. Such a genuinely nice guy, always trying to make a difference by raising nutritional awareness and ultimately healing symptoms. I'm so blessed to have found his podcast. Suzanne, I'm blessed to have you in my life, not just as a Keto Camp Academy member, but as a friend. And I love how much you study and you always have great questions on the coaching calls. So you are awesome. I appreciate you and your mom, June, as well, who's doing my detox program. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcast, please pause and do so right now or whatever platform you're listening from. It really helps the show grow and expand. If you want to watch today's interview video format, that could be found on our YouTube channel. All podcast interviews, we record video format with cool editing, and that could be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. If you want to learn more about our signature course, the Keto Camp Academy, where Suzanne is actually an amazing member, uh, I'd love to see if I could be your health coach. And if it's a good fit, we'll make it happen. All you need to do is direct message me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at TheBenAzadi. And message me with the word energy, and I'll get you some more details. All right, let's get into this episode with Dr. Matt Dawson. Dr. Matt Dawson is a medical doctor medical entrepreneur with a passion for science and business. He is fascinated with maximizing health and extending the human lifespan. Here's Dr. Matt Dawson. Dr. Matt Dawson, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. I'm super grateful to be with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I was just telling you offline, I was just on your Wild Health Podcast with your uh, colleague, Dr. Mike Mallon, and we had a fantastic conversation. And I'm really pumped up to bring you on my show today to talk about all the cool work that you're doing with Wild Health and the specialized genomic uh, training that you're doing with individuals and working with really, really cool individuals like Ben Greenfield and professional athletes, but also just somebody who wants to get their custom DNA, somebody who wants to get their custom approach, how to maximize their health. And that's what it's all about because we're so biochemical, unique individuals, and that's what you all focus on. So we'll get into all that for sure. But I want to, you know, rewind for a little bit, Matt, and talk about your backstory. Like, how did you even get involved with what you're doing today? 
Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to hear your podcast that you did with Mike. So Mike and I, um, we were in traditional medicine and our background was training other, other physicians. We trained a lot of physicians and other kind of skills, but about four years ago, he and I both became really interested and exciting in all the science coming out around personalized medicine and genomics. We started seeing all these studies that really pointed to the fact that we probably can not take a one size it's all approach like we were doing in traditional medicine. It was broken, but actually tailor people's treatments and recommendations to down to the level of their unique DNA. So when we started seeing this, we started digging into the literature. As we were looking at this, Mike had a really difficult issue. We found out his cholesterol was through the roof, like a really dangerous level, not like elevated cholesterol that people get all up in arms. It's not that big a deal, but they just alarmingly high numbers. And he saw his doctor. His doctor told him to do a diet. He got worse on that. Um, his doctor wanted to put him on a statin. He took it. He had muscle breakdown, myopathy, that didn't tolerate it. And as he was going through this, we sequenced both of our DNA and saw pretty quickly that he needed to be on the opposite of what his doctor had told him. Um, we also saw that he had a unique single nucleotide polymorphism that made him almost guaranteed to get that muscle breakdown of myopathy from the statin. And we were, we were kind of angry. We were like, why did his doctor have him go through this when he shouldn't have? And we realized, well, no one is doing this. Like the, the science is there, the evidence is there, but no one is actually treating people according to their u- unique genomics and DNA. And so that's when we really dove in and started, started doing it. We, at first, we just started doing it for friends and family. Um, I know one of your interests is is dementia, Alzheimer's. And so my grandmother was one of our first patients and she had Alzheimer's. And when we saw her, her MOCA score, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment was a 16. So it was moderate Alzheimer's. And as you know, with Alzheimer's, you want that MOCA to go from 16, 15, 14, not go 16, 10, 5. You don't want to drop off, you want to graduate. But when we sequenced her DNA, did a really deep dive into her blood biomarkers, got her on a personalized program, perfect diet, exercise, supplements, everything for her. In three months, she went from a MOCA of a 16 to a 20. So a 25% improvement, which is unheard of in medicine. And then, and I'll, I'll, I, I could tell stories all day long, but I promise I'm going to pause. <laughs> but right after seeing her, we also saw my mom. I was worried about my mother. Is she going to have the same genetics as my grandmother? And she did. She had an APOE4 gene, so she's many times more likely to get Alzheimer's. She also had a lot of other medical problems. And when we we put her on the program, in three months, she had lost 40 pounds, reversed her insulin resistance, and she told me that she felt 20 years younger. And I remember thinking, actually, you probably are 10 to 20 years younger. Chronologically, three months older, but biologically, you probably did add 10 years to your life. And so that's what's in this over the edge and to leave traditional medicine and start doing this because medicine is always about 10 to 20 years behind the science and that didn't seem tolerable to us. And so we left our university jobs and started wild to, to do it for everybody. Yeah, fascinating. And it's, it's a clear you know, example of uh, allopathic care and, and the flaws with it, which you saw being you know, on the front lines with, with Mike as well. And I would love for you to explain the difference between, okay, we have these genes that we're born with. Maybe there's Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or some dementia or whatever, diabetes or cancer that your mom or grandma or, or somebody in your family has. It's in your family history. 
which means you have those genes, which we cannot change and, and remove those genes and put new genes. But then we have this whole new science, which is what you're talking about, epigenetics, which literally means above the gene. It means we could do things in our lifestyle to control literally the expression of these genes. And I know that Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I've interviewed, believes that 99% of disease is more epigenetics and about 1% or less is strictly just the genes you were born with. So maybe you could unpack that a little bit, the difference between the two and why you focus on these specific genes. For sure, yeah. A lot of people may have heard the, the saying, DNA is destiny. It's not, it's just not. Like our DNA, it's important to know and it's bewildering to me that that every, everyone in medicine doesn't doesn't look at your DNA when treating you because it matters. It's kind of your human operating system. But the best studies I've seen is it only accounts for about 20% of the health outcome. The 80% plus is epigenetics. Everything you do to turn on and off those good and bad genes. You have genes that give you certain advantages, some that give you disadvantages, but how you express those is what, what really matters. So like when we see a patient, we sequence their DNA, but we also do a really deep dive into the other blood work and biometrics because the DNA is their potential, but we need to see how are they performing today? How are they doing today? Because everything they've eaten, their stress levels, how they sleep, all of this is much more important than how they're going to express those in their disease burden. So when we, when I see someone like my mother, who I said had an ApoE4 gene, that's great news. Like, because what I, what I told her is, mom, we know this now. We know exactly what to do for it. You're not going to get this. Let's get to work and let's make the changes that we need to so that you're gonna express these genes properly and not, not get the disease. It's an important piece of the puzzle, but it's just a piece of the puzzle that's completely modifiable. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's, it's a roadmap, it's a blueprint. It's like, okay, it's giving you a clear direction to how you should customize your diet, your lifestyle, et cetera, which is missed, as you mentioned, by conventional medicine. And it's super cool that you're doing that. Now, how do we relate the conversation to keto, right? We know a lot of people listening and watching are following keto. What are some specific genes related to keto that might point you in the direction that somebody could do keto longer than somebody who might want to flex in and out more often or maybe not even do much keto? Yeah, it's a great question. So there are certain SNPs that if someone has that, they're, they're slightly more likely to, to get have some inflammatory reactions if they do a hardcore ketogenic diet. It doesn't mean they can't do it. There also are a lot of specific SNPs that make people a little more sensitive to saturated fats than others. Like me, for example, I can eat all meat, hardcore keto all day long, and my numbers are, are beautiful, not no inflammation, anything else. Mike is very different. He has a ton of PPAR alpha, PPAR gamma, FTO SNPs. And when he does a ketogenic diet that's all kind of animal-based, it's not just the cholesterol, which we can argue how important that is. His inflammatory markers go up. He feels like crap. And he's someone who he understands the benefits of his brain and other things of ketones, but he doesn't do keto as often. If he does, it's, it's kind of a plant-based keto more, um, or he may take more exogenous ketones just to get the signaling benefits of ketones without all the saturated fats. So even Mike, he's talked about this, would be happy to meet, hear me for me to talk about it. He has an ApoE4 gene as well. So he's worried about dementia. So he, he does sometimes do keto, sometimes take ketones, but he has to do it differently than I have to. So that's, that's a perfect example. And there's even examples with working out as well. And so for myself, I found I had a collagen 5A1 polymorphism. So that meant that I get more tendon and ligament injuries if I don't increase my collagen protein. So I've changed my diet when I found that. I ate a lot more sardines and bone broth. 
and I don't have the tendon and ligament injuries as well. So my keto is much more animal-based, getting that collagen protein than Mike's keto, for example. Yeah, very, very good breakdown. And I mean, you would see that, right? If you had the genes like Mike has versus the genes that you have, and my genes are probably very similar to yours because I do really well with like a carnivore animal-based approach when we look at my inflammatory markers. Looking at your inflammatory markers would be a good idea, right? To do that maybe on a quarterly or yearly or six-month basis. What are some of the markers that you would recommend people look at? Would it be C-reactive protein, homocysteine, fibrinogen? What are some specific inflammatory markers that we could look at to see if they're increasing or decreasing? Yeah, we look at all of those um, because the different ones we're going to react differently to. Um, CRP is a very sensitive measure, and so meaning if someone doesn't have that, we feel really good about their inflammation in general. And if it's elevated, then it's not necessarily a bad thing. They could have just had a hard workout or something else uh, the day before. So we want to look at the other inflammatory markers as well. And homocysteine, if that's elevated, that tells us something. But it, there's also a different intervention for that than if it's just an elevation in CRP. So we do a much bigger blood panel than, than most doctors would do um, and look at several different inflammatory markers. Yeah. So how does this work? Let's say somebody goes to your website, which is wildhealth.com. We'll put a link for it down below. And they want to get their DNA, they want to get specific markers done. Can they just do the DNA without the blood markers? Or does it come together? And then for the DNA test, is it saliva? Is it urine? Is it a finger prick? How does that work? Yeah, it's a saliva test. So there are many companies that will look at your DNA and give you a report. We personally, and I don't want to name those companies or denigrate that approach at all, we personally believe that DNA is almost worthless without all the other information. We need to know, and it's not just the blood work. We need That's just a part of it. We need all the blood work to see not just your potential, but where are you right now, all the things that make you feel and perform a certain way, your vitamins, minerals, hormones, all of that. And then we also need the conversation. So we're also not ever going to give a report to someone who just does DNA and blood work. We have questionnaires. We need to know things that you can't measure, uh, like what you eat, um, who you eat with, when you eat, how you sleep, what your stress levels are, what you do for stress mitigation. That's the difference in what, what we do. We, we have the world's first AI-driven precision medicine platform where we take over 700,000 different data points from the DNA, the blood work, the questionnaires, the conversation, and it goes into an engine and then generates a report to give recommendation. Because if we, so for example, my mother, she had a VDR SNP, so she may need more vitamin D. But we need to know what her vitamin D level is. We also need to know, is she in Florida going into the summer or is she in Alaska in the winter? And then we can talk about, does she just need more shiitake mushrooms and organ meat or does she need a vitamin D supplement or what? So it's a, it's a complex picture that we're just not comfortable having a slice of it. We want the whole picture to really give someone the optimal recommendations. It makes sense. It totally makes sense. So let's dive into brain health, right? What are some things we can do now? And, and I always quote Einstein when he said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. I really believe the best prevention is to be proactive instead of reactive. Like We don't want to get to the point where we are diagnosed with a certain condition. And we see these uh, conditions happening every single day, every single year, especially in the United States, it's rapidly increasing when we talk about cancer and heart disease and dementia and Alzheimer's and even autism and all these conditions are increasing. And when you treat your health casually, like many people do, we end up a casualty. So how do we prevent that? What are some things we can do in relation to brain health 
to be proactive and really optimize brain function. If somebody's dealing with brain fog, forgetfulness, uh, just feeling foggy all the time, and they, they don't have that mental focus to go through their day to day, what are some things we can do? Yeah, so first off, you're exactly right. Like when you talk about prevention versus solving, preventing the problem versus solving the problem, and a perfect example of that, and I'll, I'll answer your question specifically, but a perfect example of that is my grandmother and my mother. Coming up with a plan is easy, but when you deliver the plan to someone who's cognitively impaired and then try to get them to do that, that's really difficult. But if you can start working on that and prevent it now, with my grandmother, we had to go in and clean out her cabinets and her refrigerator and redesign her entire life. Whereas my mother, I could just give the plan and she did it. It was great. So it's just so much easier too to prevent than to treat. So what do we do? I, in general, sound like a broken record when people ask me questions like that, because you say it depends on the person. Um, I'm not going to use that cop-out answer, but it literally is. We do different things for every single person. If we wanted to talk generalities, I'd say there's a few really big pillars that everyone's probably heard, but they've heard it over and over because it's true. Sleep is just absolutely crucial and critical uh, for getting that right. I think that's one of, if not the biggest risk factor for dementia is, is sleep and optimizing that. It's funny, I just talked to an athlete, one of our pro-athletes recently, who had came originally with mood issues, kind of anxiety and depression. This is a max contract player, a big-time player, and they were struggling with these issues, which is a precursor to dementia eventually if you have mood issues and these things. And we found that it was 100% related to sleep. So he was sleeping very different than his chronotype. And then when we went to optimize it, we found specific things in his genes, like a fatty acid amide hydrolase gene that made him probably respond well to CBD. So we tried it. Sure enough, he had a great response to his deep sleep. So sleep is critically important and how we solve that depends on the person and their situation. Yeah, let's stay, let's stay on that, Matt. Let's stay on sleep before you move on to the next one. Like for, for example, the athlete that you just referred to, what were you using to track his sleep before you changed things up? Or did he have like an aura ring, a whoop band? Like what did, and then what did you look at with those metrics beforehand? Great question, Ben. And it's an important question because we believe very strongly, like if we have a hypothesis that something's going to work, we need to set an objective measure and we need to be able to measure it and track it. So almost all of our patients wear an aura ring. Some, some prefer a whoop. Um, we like the aura for tracking. So when we're going to come up with a plan like this athlete, he's wearing his aura ring and we usually change one variable at a time so that we know what's, what works. I mean, if you listen to podcasts like your listeners do, they've heard a hundred different things, the supplements and things to do for sleep, but everybody's different. So we'll change one thing, measure it for a week. Did we get an improvement or not? If we did, let's stack the next thing, let's stack the next thing. And over a few months, you can really find how to optimize this person's sleep. And we have hints going into it, like the FAAH SNP, or his magnesium levels are low or other issues. We have hints, we have a hypothesis, we track it, and that's how we, we end up optimizing someone's sleep. That's good, and I love the Aura Ring. I have it too. It's a, it's a great, amazing tool. It's one of the best, I, I believe one of the best biohacking tools that you can get along with like a continuous glucose monitor. So we're looking at things like rapid eye movement, which is REM sleep, deep sleep, maybe how many times the person is waking up throughout the night, you know, awake time versus sleep time. You said a chronotype. So, you know, if somebody does better going to sleep a little bit later versus early on in the day, and then also things like heart rate variability, do you put that as one of your factors as well? 
For sure. And that's for our pro athletes. That's super important. I mean, that's uh, a really great measure for, for performance and how they're going to perform that day. So we definitely like looking at the HRV. Um, it's really great when someone has an aura ring when they come in to the program as well, because we can really frequently diagnose some things. I can look at someone's aura ring data and, and tell, hey, you're, you're not going to bed early enough are you because they don't have the deep sleep they admit they're missing that first half of the night or if they don't have much REM sleep and say you're probably having to use an alarm every morning aren't you they say yeah I said yeah because you're cutting off that last part so we can learn a lot just diagnostically by looking at that that data from the ordering as well it's such a great tool now they've added things like oxygen saturation and for women you could kind of they'll give you an idea when you're about to get your uh, monthly cycle your body temperature increases heart rate goes up a little bit my fiance is using it and it tells her like you're about to get your monthly cycle which is super interesting and i always love looking at aura rings too i geek out not just on my stats or my fiance but a lot of my students i just love kind of like you just said looking at things and putting the pieces to the puzzle together for me and my fiance when we kind of compare our aura ring scores, she gets a lot of deep sleep. Like I'm talking about three to four hours of deep sleep a night. She is out cold, but she's not getting enough REM sleep. She's getting about 40 minutes to maybe an hour of REM sleep. And they're both very important, as you know, Mike. So we've been kind of tweaking some things. Like you said, I ha I'm having her do something really interesting, which is giving her a thousand milligrams of uh, lion's mane mushroom before bed to see if that bumps up the REM sleep and also putting some more um, blankets on her to warm her body, body up for more REM sleep. And it actually bumped it up to about an hour and 15 hour and 20. So that's just like a little example of things you can do when you get this data and kind of tweak some things. Is that sort of the thing that you do as well with clients? For sure. Yeah. And it's funny. I've got several pounds of lion's mane in the refrigerator um, right now. Lion's mane is great. <laughs> I haven't actually used it for REM sleep. So that's interesting to hear. Um, usually when we see someone's REM sleep down, the first thing is, is, Hey, because you get your REM sleep usually at, at the end of the night. And so many of us that use an alarm clock to get up, our body's not ready. We're still need more of that REM sleep. So it's usually, Figuring out how we can not use an alarm was the first one. The other thing that just that we've had some interesting success with is phosphatidylcholine. That tends to to make a difference with with REM sleep as well. But the important point to all this is we have a hypothesis, we try it, and we track it, just like you're doing. Because if you're not actually tracking it, uh, then you just have no idea if it's actually working or not. That's right. Don't guess. Test to your point. Did you know there's actually beverages that can supercharge your fasting results? My favorite, which is a keto powerhouse, is apple cider vinegar. There's a ton of research showing apple cider vinegar has been beneficial for boosting your metabolism, suppressing appetite, reducing fat storage. That's because apple cider vinegar contains acetic acid, which is a short-chain fatty acid that's been shown to promote weight loss in those ways. Also, apple cider vinegar is one of the best ways to balance your blood sugars. A study showed apple cider vinegar improved insulin sensitivity after high-carb meals up to 34%. We also know that apple cider vinegar stimulates digestion, acts as a bile stimulant to help break down the fat you're eating on keto. Another research study showed apple cider vinegar protects against mineral depletion. If you're like me, you probably don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. I think it tastes disgusting. That's why my go-to is Paleo Valley's Apple Cider Vinegar Complex. This is an organic blend of apple cider vinegar and four more gut and health supportive superfoods. 
I take this before my meals. I take it before coffee. And this enhances my fast and my blood sugar regulation. You'll find it contains organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic Ceylon cinnamon, and organic lemon. Since you are a listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive discount code for you to get the apple cider vinegar complex capsules and all of the products over at Paleo Valley. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. By the way, they got delicious beef sticks and an awesome organ meat complex. Go check them out. Paleovalley.com. That is KetoCamp15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. Now, how does this conversation about sleep relate to, to brain health? Like what's happening when we're sleeping at night that helps to kind of restore the brain and get rid of uh, plaques and proteins? Yeah, so there's something called the glymphatic system that is active at sleep that really is kind of washing the brain the brain out. I mean, you, you, you accumulate all these issues throughout the day and then the night is when, when you repair. So I don't think anyone truly understands all the mechanisms and why exactly sleep is important, but what we do know is it is. Like it is just, um, it is, if you look at the data on increases in mortality, depression, anxiety, hypertension, dementia, all of these things, it's massive. And whether we understand exactly the mechanisms of what's going on when we dream and all these other things, we know it's, it's critically important. Um, so it's something that if it's not dialed in, uh, I see people all the time, biohackers, uh, they want to like focus on these little hacks and like these supplements and all these things. And if they don't have their sleep dialed in, it just seems like they're, they're wasting their time. Yeah, absolutely. Your partner, Mike, Dr. Mike, asked me the question on your Wild Health podcast just a couple of days ago. What's most important, sleep, nutrition, or exercise? And of course, they're all very important. But if I had to choose one, he asked me, what would I choose? And I said, well, you know, you could go days without food, even weeks. People do that with fasting. You could go days and weeks and months without exercise. It's called a sedentary lifestyle. But you can't go days and weeks without sleep. You turn into a crazy person. So I believe it's the foundation. And once you get that plugged in, everything else is so much easier. Would you agree to that answer? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing. So, and I, I, I've been asked that question too, and I answer it um, slightly different. I, I agree. Sleep is is maybe number one. It's hard to rank those because they're all critically important. But the interesting thing about sleep is it's a leverage point for the other two. So there are really good studies showing that if you're sleep deprived two things when it comes to nutrition. Number one, you make more poor decisions, like your decisions are poor around what food you eat the next day. And two, you don't handle it well. Your insulin sensitivity, for example, is off. You don't process the food as well. So sleep is really important for nutrition and then also for, for exercise as well. If, if you don't get the proper sleep after a hard workout, you've almost wasted the workout. You have to have the recovery piece. And if you're not properly rested, you're many times higher risk of getting injury. So we know nutrition and, and exercise are critically important, but you can't get those two right without sleep. Sleep, you have to get right to get any of the three right. So that, that's one of the reasons I think it's so important. Fair point. I agree. You know, I think one thing all health educators and experts could agree upon, at least until I hear somebody say that they disagree with this statement, is we don't want to eat right before bed, <laughs> right? Um, I think that's valuable to understand that no matter what your schedule is, we don't want to give ourselves a meal and then go to sleep. Do you 
see anything? Is there any gene that allows somebody to do that? Or do you agree with that for kind of across the board for everybody out there? Yeah, I think it's a good recommendation in general. I, I, we do. There are some SNPs that make it even worse, um, but there are no SNPs that make it okay. Uh, people, for example, with um, MTNR1, MTNRB, sometimes they have more inflammation from eating late at night. So I think it's bad for everybody. Some people, it's even more critical that they avoid that. Yeah, and that's the uh, melatonin uh, receptor site you're referring to, correct? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's something we could agree upon. Just don't eat before bed and then we'll start tweaking everything else. So that sleep is one of the pillars that in general, for most people, you want to make, oh, well, for everybody, you want to make sure you really hone in your, your sleep quality, use a device like Aura or Whoop or something that's going to track it. What's the next one here? So obviously you named the other, <laughs> the other two, uh, which is nutrition and exercise. With, with nutrition, it's, I think a lot of people start thinking about the foods they can add, like lion's mane that increases neurogenic growth factor or exogenous ketones or things like that, which may have a benefit. But the first thing is just removing the toxins. Like just quit hurting yourself and then maybe think about those, those other things. So many people are still eating a processed diet and a lot of sugar and gluten and dairy, things that are probably going to be inflammatory for them. And removing that is a lot more important than adding in the good foods. You got to eat something. So hopefully you're going to substitute that with the good foods, but we just eat a pretty toxic diet in America. And if we could just stop doing that, we would make a lot of progress towards brain health. Yeah, I agree. It's just first step, eat real food, you know, stay out of the middle aisles, of the grocery store, or go on the outer aisles, eat the produce, uh, things that don't require a long nutrition label, they just have one or two items on the label, or maybe not even anything like avocado or beef or things like that don't even require uh, a nutrition list, because that's what you see is what you get. Let me ask you this question. What do you think is, is more inflammatory to a human being? Eating seed oils, vegetable oils, like processed canola, soybean, etc., or processed sugar. If you had to choose one that was worse, which evil is worse? Yeah, so they're both really bad. In general, when we talk about nutrition, we do talk about the bioindividuality and the genomics. And so, for example, gluten is probably not great for anyone, but if someone has an SH2B3, we tell them to really steer away from it even more. Dairy, some people handle it okay, some people don't. If you have an MCM6 polymorphism, really stay away from it. So when you talk about sugar and vegetable oil, my answer is the same as always. It depends, and it depends on uh, a couple things. One, what is their insulin sensitivity? Uh, so if someone has, and what are their, their exercise levels? So for a sedentary individual who has really poor insulin sensitivity, sugar may be more harmful for them. Ever you take an athlete, like I worked out for two hours today. If I have some sugar before, during, or right after that, it's not going to have a big impact on me. Whereas if I have some vegetable oil, that those oils are replacing some of the lipid layers in my cells and it may be there for a month or more. So for me in that situation, probably the vegetable oils are more harmful. So those two, I try to avoid, period. Um, but which is more harmful kind of depends on the person, their genetics, their lab work, and their activity levels and what their lifestyle looks like. Yeah, I, I like the answer. What I usually say is you, you could eat sugar and, like you said, be active and, and uh, use the sugar for energy uh, with movement, squats, exercise, etc. But with seed oils, you can't really 
you know, use that for energy. As you said, it, it gets embedded into your membranes and fat cells. And uh, Dr. Kay Shanahan says the half-life is about two years for linoleic acid to get out of the body. So it sticks around a lot longer. So my answer would be the vegetable oils are probably worse, but they're both bad. So we want to, you know, limit both. And if you're going to have sugar, you want to be active, like, like what you're saying here. I have a follow-up question on the dairy part. You mentioned, uh, what was the specific genetic SNP for uh, avoiding dairy that you said? It's the MCM6 SNP. Now, if somebody has that SNP and you say avoid dairy, do you mean specifically pasteurized dairy or should they also stay away from raw dairy? So dairy in general, obviously there are certain dairies that are going to be better, like from A2 cows. But for those individuals, usually they just don't process those proteins as well in general. I think... In general as well, like any time you can have something that's more raw and less processed and pasteurized, probably good. But for someone who has that, that gene, we usually just going to have them avoid it as much as they can. Now, we may also look at all their inflammatory markers. And if for some reason their inflammatory markers are perfect, they feel great when they eat raw or A2 milk and it's just not bothering them, then okay. Like we'll look at that, that whole picture but most people just don't don't process it or tolerate it well if they have that gene. It's not a super common gene either, so it's not not one that we uh, are seeing a lot. What about sheep and uh, goat dairy? Is that in the same conversation there, or is that different? It's the same conversation. Um, again, I think for most people, those are usually a little better um, and a little less inflammatory as well. But for someone with an MCM6, they probably aren't going to tolerate probably any dairy, really. Okay. And what are the, what are the symptoms that might show up for that person with that gene who has dairy? Should, would they get like post-nasal drip, indigestion? I, I know you mentioned looking at the inflammatory markers, but what like immediate symptoms should they be paying, paying attention to? Yeah. Similar to what someone who's lactose intolerant would get. So kind of bloating and gas, maybe some of the inflammatory stuff you mentioned, but it's usually more kind of gastrointestinal distress is what they would, what they would find with that. And if they have a kind of a mild reaction, they may not notice those things, but we would see it in their CRP and inflammatory markers. Awesome. Okay. So let's move on to, to movement and exercise. I know you're big on, uh, you know, speaking about brain derived, derived neurotropic factor. And, uh, I heard you reference as studying to get ready for this interview. I heard you reference a great book that I read several years ago called spark, which really fascinated my mind. Uh, and brain, no pun intended, on exercise for the brain. So let's get into that and what that what exercise does specifically for brain health. Yeah, I mean, exercise, I mean, everyone has tried forever to come up with exercise and appeal. If you actually could get all the benefits of exercise from appeal, I mean, it would be a, a trillion dollar, not a billion dollar trio, because it, it, it just has so many benefits for us, uh, period. And brain health is probably one of the biggest ones. So we, we obviously know, yeah. Intense exercise increases brain drive neurotrophic factor. It's like miracle grow for your brain. Um, Spark, it's been a long, it's probably been 10 to 15 years since I read, read that, but a lot of the great points in that book was around mental health as well. And if you look at exercise compared to SSRIs or other medications, it outperforms those when it comes to depression and anxiety and all these things. So the beautiful thing about exercise is we, we do so many things for our future selves, um, which is worth doing. We want to do that. But exercise has so many benefits in the moment as well, just the clarity, the mental health uh, components. So exercise is, it's hard to overstate just how powerful and how beneficial exercise and intense exercise is for the brain. Yeah, I always feel great after, during and after a, a good workout exercise. And 
you know, that's why it's important for that BDNF. That BDNF is very, very important for creativity, resilience. Just it's like you said, the miracle grow for the brain, the brain fertilizer. And if anybody wants to learn more about that, the book is called Spark by John Ratte. And uh, it's a fantastic book. I'm sure there are some other books that have come out speaking more about that. But for me too, that was one of my first books that I read several years ago. And it really opened up my world to uh, what exercise does for, for brain performance. Are there other foods that you like that help activate BDNF as well? There are. Lion's Mane is one of the first that comes to mind. Um, we have in our our reports, usually if someone that has an APOE4 really needs that, that we have kind of a list of foods. And now I'm blanking on them um, as we're talking, but there are... Olive oil, uh, I think is one of them. Green tea, I believe. Yeah, there's, yeah. Um, the EGCG and green tea, I think is, is the main component that that does that. Yeah, but both of those are good boosters as well. Uh, I thought about cheating right now and just Googling it real quick in another window since this is on video, but uh, I won't do that. It's <laughs> fine to not, not know things off the top of your head sometimes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think uh, from my research is, uh, uh, like you said, ECGC uh, from uh, green tea, uh, curcumin, turmeric, I believe was on there. Lion's mane, as you mentioned, olive oil, the polyphenols in there, and there might be a few others. So yeah, there are some foods we can eat as well that could stimulate that BDNF, which is super cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And there's other things too, that are really great for the brain, like sauna. Uh, sauna is great because it's for people who, number one, some folks just have issues and they can't really exercise really, really hard. And sauna is kind of like a um, exercise mimetic. It's very similar. You get your heart rate up, you're sweating, you get vasodilation, and it's it's really great for the brain. And there's really incredible Finnish studies on just how much uh, it decreases the risk of dementia if you can do sauna a few times a week. Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a hormetic stress, and you got to find that sweet spot. So yeah, sauna could be another great tool to add into the mix. You know, speaking of hormetic stressors, what about fasting um, as it relates to genetic SNPs? What are some really cool things we should be paying attention to when it comes to somebody who could do a little bit more fasting versus somebody who might want to do less in, in regards to genetics? Yeah, so there's usually when we'll have someone do more fasting based on their genetics is when we find quite a few markers that make them at increased risk of certain types of cancer because fasting has a benefit of going into into autophagy and possibly uh, usually cleaning up a lot of those kind of precancerous cells before they turn into something. So that's one time we'll have people fast a little more. Usually our decisions around fasting and how much to do are have more to do with their biomarkers and blood work than genetics though. So there's some genetic there, but also just where is this person on their insulin sensitivity and just their other biomarkers as well. How much room do they have to fast? Fasting is interesting that we, I've been a, a big proponent of it in the past, but I also I've seen a lot of people that it doesn't necessarily give them a lot of benefits and it, it can actually cause some problems if someone is already under muscled. They already have a low kind of body mass index, um, especially women uh, that, are, that are older who, I mean, hip fractures and falls are, are a big problem. And so fasting, I think you gotta be careful at it. It's a very powerful tool, but with any kind of tool that's powerful, there also are, are downsides you have to think about. So it's a pretty individualized decision when we talk to someone about fasting. Absolutely. I agree. I always call it a chainsaw, right? A chainsaw can get you great results or a chainsaw could hurt you. You just got to know how to use it the right way. 
Hey Keto Camper, we've been told for a long time, when it comes to magnesium, look at the forms. And let's face it, there's so many different forms and confusion when it comes to magnesium. But this company called Upgraded Formulas, they've created a nanoparticle magnesium, so you don't really have to worry about the form anymore. The unique thing about nanoparticles, it goes right into your membranes. It's small enough to penetrate the cell membrane. And the truth is most people are suffering from a magnesium deficiency. Common symptoms and signs of a magnesium deficiency include poor sleep, cramping, eye twitching, headaches and migraines, irregular heartbeat, stiff joints, anxiety, depression, body odor, and others. Magnesium is intimately involved in how you look, feel, and how you move. It's critical for feeling energetic, achieving peak mental and physical performance, and looking young and vibrant. There's a current sleep study being conducted right now on upgraded formulas magnesium. Early results so far shown that it was given to 212 doctors, and they had an average of 30% more deep sleep shown on their aura ring with upgraded formulas magnesium. Now, why is that important? Deep sleep is where your body activates its fat-burning hormones. You detoxify, you repair, you recover. How many of you would want to get more deep sleep? I'm raising my hand right now. Upgraded magnesium is endorsed by myself, my mentor, Dr. Dan Pompa, by my colleague, Dr. Mindy Pels, and many, many others. Another cool thing about magnesium is that it converts into melatonin. And melatonin is the most potent antioxidant for your mitochondria. And yes, it also helps with sleep. Look, it's much easier to replace the building blocks than to put in hormones. And that's what magnesium does. If you want to get your hands on a bottle of upgraded magnesium for 15% off, head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KK15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your entire order. That's upgradedformulas.com. Use KK15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. I'll drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. I love fasting. I think when you use it the right way, it's one of the most powerful ancient healing strategies that that checks the box on a lot of health benefits people are seeking. But so many people fall in love with fasting. And I was guilty of this when I started doing it back in 2013. And you get you do too much, uh, too much autophagy is not good, right? It weakens your immune system. Like you said, if you, you could weaken your um, bone density, and there could be other issues. So too much of a good thing ends up being a bad thing. It's the balance of autophagy and mTOR, the feast, the famine, the feast, famine cycling. So if you could find that unique balance, I think you could really benefit from it. And a lot of people, Matt, they fall in love with fasting and then they turn into O matters, which are these one meal a day, every single day. And it's kind of hard to get enough quality protein and, and get enough feasting during a one meal per day. And I see that as a valuable tool. Maybe if you're very overweight, you could get away with more of that, but not something that I would recommend long term. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's exactly right. In our patients who need to lose a lot of weight, uncontrolled diabetes, they have, um, or they're obese, great. Like, let's fast. That's the benefits of it are probably never always going to outweigh the downsides in those individuals who have a lot of, a lot of mass to lose. But uh, a healthy person like you and probably most of your your listeners, you got to really dose it out. It's the the dose that makes the poison. So yeah, figuring out how to do it right for that individual is important. I mean, for myself. I, I, yeah, I, I got into it for a while and I just really quickly realized like if I'm 
going to be working out or playing something for one to two hours a day, uh, one meal a day is not going to not going to work uh, for me. And a lot of times when I see people go to the one meal a day too, you're right. You're not going to get enough high quality protein and other things. And you just tend to overeat and sometimes the self-control goes out the window as well. And you end up eating a ton of garbage and just piling those calories in. And usually that one meal is at the end of the day. So it's not that far from sleep like we talked about earlier also. Yeah, and, and to your point, you're right. If somebody does OMAD, they usually do it at night. And we just discussed why we don't want to eat before bed. If you're going to do OMAD, it's better to have a big breakfast as your, your one meal per day versus a big dinner. <laughs> would you agree to that? I would. It's, it's difficult for people to do that just kind of socially and things too. Everyone eats, eats dinner. So I, I generally tell people, look, hey, if you could do it in the morning, great. That's probably going to be best. You're most insulin sensitive then. You're going to have energy throughout the day. Or do it right after whenever you work out. I mean, the, the, maybe if you were going to work out at 10 or 11, have it at, at noon. But getting that nutrition in right after you work out to help your recovery. And the evening is probably the worst time to do it. It's the most common just because of how our society works. But it is probably the worst time to do that. Agreed. What about fatty fish? And you have a, an acronym that you had mentioned before called SMASH when it comes to eating the right fish. Could you share a little bit about that and brain health and just overall health? Sure. Yeah. So kind of cold water, fatty fish. So SMASH stands for salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. So those are just an easy acronym to remember SMASH. Uh, personally, I I mean, I've, the only thing I've had today so far is two cans of sardines. I, I eat probably two cans of sardines every day. I yeah, probably eat 10 to 15 cans per week. I love love sardines. I think it's the, wow. I think it's the world's perfect food. Like when you look at Okay, it's got all the omega-3s. It's an extremely clean fish because it's at the bottom of the food chain, so you don't have the bioaccumulation of all the heavy metals. It has an incredible amount of collagen protein, like I mentioned earlier, with all the little bones in it. It also has all the organs in it still because it's a whole fish. So people talk about eating nose to tail and all the kind of rich vitamins and nutrition and organs. So I consider a sardine to be the world's perfect food and probably eat a couple cans a day. It's kind of a running joke. The wild health people are always sending pictures of themselves eating cans of sardines. We, we, uh, we should try start sardines as much as we eat. Okay, so you, you're convincing me to eat more sardines, but I really dislike the taste. So what can I do to overcome that nasty taste? I do not like the taste at all. Oh, we've got hundreds of recipes for you when it comes to sardines. So, so if you talk to really great chefs, sardines are one of the more flavorful fish. And so for me personally, I started eating them for the health part, but then I started craving them. It, I think it is a taste that you start to really kind of crave. And part of the craving, I think, is I would just feel a mental clarity after eating them. such a clean food. And, and I mean, there's no carbs in it for a keto person. It's really perfect. You, get that, you feel like you almost get that omega-3 hit to your brain when you're doing it. So you start to almost get addicted to the taste and the physiology. I also frequently, like today, I mixed it with some mustard and some hot sauce, um, which was great. But I mean, yeah, mix them with maybe some uh, some more the paleo mayo, some mayo that's good, it's not made from vegetable oil. And because of how often we recommend it, I think we've got a list of these. If you hit me up afterwards, I'll I'll share a bit of recipes. Yeah. Yeah, please. I need some help. My fiance loves the taste. Uh, I, I don't, but you're convincing me because you're right. There's so many benefits to it. Would you choose sardines 
over eggs in terms of the health benefits? Yeah, it's, eggs are a close second. Like I eat a lot of sardines. I, um, I usually eat a couple eggs per day too. If I work out early in the morning, I will have a coffee afterwards and I usually put two eggs in it and I just blend it together. I, I, I haven't heard as many people talk about this, but when you do that, it's, almost, it's like you have a latte without the dairy. So the fat and the protein in the, in the eggs, when you blend it in a blender with a coffee, it's beautiful. It's frothy. It tastes like a latte, but you don't have that dairy or the inflammatory part. You just all have all the wonderful choline and all the other things that we want from the eggs. So I, I, a fair amount of eggs too. And we recommend eggs quite a bit to our patients. You're right. Not a lot of people are talking about that. I remember one person who was uh, my friend, Dr. Bickman shared that with me several years ago, and I started doing that. And then I kind of forgot about putting eggs in my coffee. So you've now convinced me to add more sardines and also eggs into my coffee. So thank you for that, Matt. As you say, we have chickens as well. And so when it's your own chickens too, you, you want to use the eggs as much as you can. So it's another great use for the eggs that people don't think about. I think, I think it's it sounds weird and because I just picture Rocky drinking raw eggs, but it, it actually is an enhancer to your coffee. Are you concerned at all about having eggs every day and sardines every day, creating a food intolerance to having the same food every day, or do you take breaks sometimes? I'm not that worried about it. I don't know if I should be or not. Um, I consider those to be just such clean, whole foods and I don't eat really that many inflammatory things. Otherwise, um, I've never had an issue with it. Yeah, so maybe I should. If, if you have some evidence or things that they send it to me, I'd love to, to see it. But um, I've never had a problem with it and never really thought about it uh, too much for myself. Yeah, I mean, you're right. They're both really complete whole foods, super healthy. But I mean, I do know if you eat the same avocado every single day or whatever, you know, food item every single day over time, a lot of people I've seen some people develop sensitivities. Uh, but I don't know if that would be the case for eggs and sardines. But it's just the thought that came to mind when you shared that. Yeah, it's, it's worth thinking about. I don't I mean, I, when I think back, I, I also eat seasonally quite a bit too. I mean, when I think back, ancestrally, people living in the same place, they're probably eating the same thing a lot. But it's, again, it's whole foods, it's clean things, it's not contaminated with all the stuff that we have in our food today. And so I, I will seasonally start to eat different things depending on, we, we just, we grow a lot of our own food here too. So I probably eat less of those things certain times of the year. Great. So a couple more questions here for you. I know that you have your podcast, which is called Wild Health Podcasts, awesome podcast you've had several guests on there and you know a lot of uh, people in our space they don't agree with everything right you have somebody who's more saying you have to eat more plants somebody saying do more animal based and we have all these different ideas but maybe i'm going to ask you the question what are maybe the top 5 commonalities that you've seen with people in our space that we all agree to what are those top 5 things yeah so you nutrition specifically or just in general Health in general, like what are five specific things that you, most people in our space agree to? Agree to? Yeah, I think we've hit on most of them. So I, I would say sleep, obviously, we'll, we'll knock that off because everyone, everyone's on that bandwagon how important sleep is. When it comes to nutrition, um, I've never heard anyone argue that vegetable oils and sugar are good for you. So we've got a couple toxic foods there. I think everybody would agree. I think in general, too, even when you have like vegans versus carnivores, there's still both groups when you talk to the reasonable folks in those groups are still going to talk about it from a whole food standpoint. The 
carnivores aren't saying you should just eat just like processed meat all the time. And the vegans are saying, aren't saying you should eat processed uh, things that aren't, aren't meat. I think everybody kind of agrees on the kind of the whole food and kind of, if you go to Michael Pollan's omnivore dilemma, when he talks about would your great, great grandmother recognize it. I think most people are on, on that bandwagon as well. Everyone agrees that, that exercise um, is important. Also, I think one of the things we haven't talked about, which I think everyone would agree on, we're starting to understand just how critical it is, is stress, our relationships and the social part of health as well. It's good to see people talking about that more and more. I think it, even five to 10 years ago, a lot of people in the health space, space weren't. They're talking about supplements and the food and, and all of this, but it, there's more and more of an emphasis on that, on mindfulness and stress reduction and how important that is for, for long-term health. Awesome. Great answer. Yeah. And last question is perfect to pick up where you just left off on the stress part. I always talk about when I lecture, when I do my podcast, I always refer to what I believe is the, the world's greatest vitamin and supplement in the world that I call vitamin G. And when you take vitamin G, which is free, you get all these amazing benefits, including anti-inflammatory benefits, uh, calmness, possibly things like BDNF that we haven't discovered yet. But I'm referring to gratitude and the practice of gratitude and appreciating what you have and just finding the value and, and all the amazing abundance that's all around us. So with that, I want to ask you in the final question here, Matt, is what are you grateful for? And, and do you have a gratitude practice yourself? I do. Um We've talked on our podcast a lot about, we've had several episodes, whole episodes on, on gratitude just because of how important it is. Like, like you mentioned, it seems like it's a sap to just about everything. So for me, my gratitude practice, I, I try very specifically to take some time in the day to be grateful and, and not, not wait for something really big and awesome to happen to be grateful for but just to be grateful for the little things. Like right now, I'm recording this podcast. I'm doing my job without my shoes on. And like I like to not have to wear shoes and have my feet on the floor and on the ground. And outside, I've been outside most of the day today, and it's 70-something degrees, so it's a perfect day. So it doesn't need to be a big thing that happens, but just small things like that I think are really important to kind of flex our gratitude muscle and, and – teach us just how much we have to be grateful for. If we really were able to allow ourselves, I could sit here and I could tell you a thousand things that I'm grateful for because there's so much around me. But I think we get hung up a lot, a lot of times on thinking about the big thing that we're grateful for. And it's, and it's, it's not about that. It's not about those big things happening. It's about how much you can notice. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to kind of cultivate with myself is just noticing more. There's so much to notice to be grateful for. And if you can just notice, notice more, you're going to be so much happier. Beautifully said, beautifully said, my friend, where, where can the, my audience, the keto campers go and learn more about your work and uh, your website and social media, all that. Yeah. Um, wildhealth.com is where folks could sign up to be a patient. We also have a fellowship that we, we train providers, health coaches and doctors in genomics uh, in, in the program. I think I'm horrible with social media. I'm, I'm an old man, I guess. At Wild Health MD is, I think, what our social media handle is. I hope I get that right. I'm always getting it wrong. I'll tell you right now. I'll look it up right now. Let's see. It's um, 
Yep, you're right at Wild Health MD. That's it. Great. I don't know if that's on the InstaFace or the or the or the uh, Booking Gram or whatever they're called. But yeah, it's probably on all of them. <laughs> Instagram, yes. <laughs> We'll find it all for you so you don't have to think about your social. We'll put your website down below. We'll put your social media down below. If you want to learn more about what they're doing, which is awesome stuff, go check out their podcast. We'll put everything down below. I want to acknowledge you and say thank you. I've got vitamin G for you, Matt, and the work that you are doing with your you know, business partners, Dr. Mike Mallon, Dr. Julie Foucher, who's you know, a CrossFit legend, and all the people you're helping. So thank you. I appreciate you. I can't wait to go hang out at your castle as well. So thank you so much, Matt. Thanks, man. This is a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Matt Dawson. Go subscribe to their podcast, which is the Wild Health Podcast. I was recently a guest on there. If you want to learn more about their services, their DNA kits, and all the cool things he mentioned, we have an awesome coupon code for you, which is Azadi to get 20% off. And we'll drop a link down below as well, including their social media, their website, and everything we mentioned can be found down below. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview and all interviews, that could be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash keto camp. Share this episode with a friend, post it on social media, post it on your stories. Let's get the message out there and please consider leaving the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you're tuning in from today. Send me a message on Instagram at the Benazadi with the word energy and I'll give you some details on our signature course to see if it's a good fit for me to be your health coach. I would be honored to do so. Let's see if it's a good fit. Energy at the Benazadi on Instagram. Looking forward to hearing from you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.